it's really good to talk about it, you know, like let it out, like let it out and just say like, you know what, I really don't like the way my shoulder blade looks on that side. And maybe some, you can tell that to someone that you trust. And shockingly, a lot of people will not even see those things. That, I mean, I was going to study neurosurgery. So go, <laughs> going back to that. That's crazy, by the way. Crazy. I'm Welcome back to another episode of It Girls. And guys, we have a surprise for you. Normally, we've been interviewing athletes and college athletes, but we have a major shift in our production. And so we're excited to in, um, introduce a businesswoman and someone I'm really lucky to call friend, Andrea Nusete Elliott. Did I pronounce that right? Look at that accent. Good Damn. Job. Thank you. Thank you. And <laughs> I um, had the pleasure to know Andrea for what, like five, six years now since Mexico a long time ago. And I think so. Yeah. And she's just unreal. And I'm so lucky to get to know her and for her to, get to share her story with you guys. And so Andrea, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're about and we'll get into it. Okay. Um, born in Venezuela. So um, born in Caracas, the capital of Venezuela. I was raised on a Caribbean island a little east from Aruba. Um, my grandparents and my um, parents were immigrants from Europe after World War II. So I have, I'm a, I like to say I'm a mutt. My <laughs> family is a little bit from the Amazon <laughs> and a little bit from, from Italy. So uh, I have a very interesting mix. Um, when my grandma was uh, sick, I was around 11 years old. So we moved back to Italy, her home country. And I went with them. Uh, they were kind of like the people who raised me. Um, and um, I... After completing my um, lyceum, which is our high school over there, um, I, just, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. So um, I um, wanted to do that in the United States. Um, and uh, I was playing volleyball over there, uh, but I didn't speak English. And I didn't know uh, that the U.S. didn't have a pro league at the time. Um, so I kind of grabbed my some of my cash savings, uh, the other volleyball savings I had. I didn't. Think, like I always thought about them as put them and forget them just in case there's an emergency. Um, so I, I just grabbed my money, came over here and uh, started my life. Um, I had to learn, you know, a lot of things. Cut out a little you bit. Know, there is not, there's not a pro league. Do I want to do neurosurgery? How does a loan work? I have no idea. It was so expensive. I was going to go to either MIT, Stanford, Brown, Harvard. Um, so oh when, I, when I saw the tuition cost, I was like, uh, no, thanks. Yeah. So I went to college yeah, yeah. and I started to, um, you know, like to get my, my base and my core classes done. And then I ended up transferring to the university of Texas, graduated in 2017, um, took over, um, TIY, which is the business that I run now and, uh, started playing beach volleyball because it wasn't an indoor league. So wow. that's a whole lot wow. of in all places, but um, yeah, that's a summary of kind of like the last 32 years of my life. Man. Oh my gosh. Andrea, I think what's kind of cool and just to like give your audience some background, we always like ask our guests before they come on, you know, is there anything that you want to share? What's your story? Um, are there any fun facts? Like all these things just so we can get a better grasp to hopefully you know, our whole goal, mine and Z's goal of this podcast is just to show the guests in the light that they want to be shown. And Andrea was kind enough to, she has a nine page document about her life story <laughs> and Z and I reading it. It was like, it was fascinating. And, you know, you called yourself a mutt, but how cool that you have the, you, you know, the culture of Venezuela of what was the island that you lived on in the Caribbean called? Uh, Margarita. La Margarita. I love that. And then, um, and all Italy and Venezuela. So let's like go, let's go in chronological order a little bit. So you were born in Venezuela, correct? Yeah. Okay. So, 
um, walk, walk us through that a little bit. I know Z and I, um, we visited B- Brazil when we were freshmen in college and you talked about in your, um, in your writing, the, uh, what are they called? Favela, favelas, right? Mm-hmm. Of Brazil yeah. and how it was kind of similar to Venezuela. So just talk us through Venezuela a little bit first. So, um, it's a very, um, uh, like anything, Venezuela is the first country of Central America, you know, it borders with Colombia, it borders with Brazil. So a lot of all the things in South America, especially the first countries, uh, received a lot of influx from slave trade and from immigrants uh, all throughout history, especially after the discovery of the new world. Um, So we see a lot of flavor there. Um, I'm pretty sure you guys got... uh, a good sense of that when you went on a visit um, and on your foreign trip. But um, there is a lot of livelihood. Uh, there is a love for music. People are smiling all the time. Um, people are open with each other. Um, you know, you live really, really close. So the, the cities are very dense. Um, where I was born, actually, we don't call them favelas because that's in Portuguese, but we call them barrios. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's like my family, I was lucky. My family in my first years of my life was very, very wealthy. So I didn't have, you know, I was born in a place that was a third world country, but my family didn't have necessarily those, um, you know, those needs, but all my neighbors were, I'm an only child. I'm the only female in my family. So my neighbors were, you know, people that didn't have much. So I would share all the time things that I had that I was lucky enough to have. But my best memories are like playing outside with what we had, what the what the rain would bring down and what we would find on the beach. And Crazy. making things was always a good thing. We had like a race. We lived a little bit on a hill and every now and then we'll build like a little cart and we'll just launch ourselves from the from the hill and we'll like make races with random wow. wheels and like we'll fall over and like we had the dogs on them. <laughs> so it was, it was really, really fun um, in a very humble way. Uh, it was always a party. It was super loud all the time. And around 1999, uh, the president changed. So the political um, situation was, you know, declining often. Um, oftentimes like, you don't see that change in countries that fast. But uh, when Chavez got into presidency, um, families all of a sudden got into political unrest. People that had a lot of money, like my family, started to be in danger. There was um, a socialism uh, eradication from everything that was private. Uh, my family was in real estate. So my grandpa went there when he was mm. 19 years old and my grandma was 15. So they were... Wow. So she jumped in a boat by herself after he had gone um, because my great grandfather from Italy would not let her go if she wasn't married. I wonder why. Yeah. Yeah. So this love story is actually super like what was set my example for mine. He went ahead because his brother had gone. And they started working in construction. And then he sent the money for like the boat ride, the transatlantic boat ride (laughs) twice. Because the first time my great grandma stole it and didn't give it to my grandma. She was 16, like 15. So they were not leaving. You're not married. So my grandma stayed a marriage with an uncle so that (laughs) she could leave. So he was... It's hilarious. Wow. Um, that, so, that's crazy. So they this, staged the marriage so they both could live in Venezuela. So my grandma staged the marriage with Sorry, my delay. Yeah. Of, my, of her promised fiance so that she could leave. So she went to yeah. her dad and said, you know, I'm married now. Uh, I, I got to go. You know, I know he sent me the money. Like all this. I wish I could have some collection of documents of this because it's incredible. Um, so she jumped on the boat with one of her aunts and 21 days later, she got to Venezuela and then she started working in a hostel with, while my grandpa was doing construction and then she was cleaning. So she was like leading the Airbnb and cleaning that and managing all the finances. 
and then they did well over time. So they built, you know, what they called the fortune of the 60s, 70s, and 80s in South America. People, you know, accumulated a lot of money and it was uh, very lucky for my family. But when things got bad politically and my grandma got sick, I was 11 years old and she made, um, she made a call to go. So to give you perspective, in my childhood, I um, was mainly with my grandparents and my mom in and out of my life. She was the third of the family and she didn't really want to have me. Uh, she made that very clear <laughs> when I was a kid. So she was, she's mentally ill, which is uh, actually very, um, she, she's non-diagnosed because she's in denial of it. But um, everyone that knows her, me included, you know, we've been trying to get her help. Uh, and uh, yeah. it's been very, um, very difficult for the family to deal with her. But she's been declining and she's been spiraling since I was a baby. After she divorced my dad, you know, things where I was two. So things went uh, south fast. Um, she's had moments of, you know, greatness, but she's had moments of really, really bad um, episodes that then I was the, um, the, the only one to blame. I was an only child and she was in and out, um, as I said. And, um, you know, she had um, a strong influence in the way uh, I see life now um, for good reasons and for bad reasons. Uh, but um, it's funny right. that we're doing this, this interview on uh, Mental Health Awareness Month because it's important that we think yeah. about those things. Um, yeah. so not to interrupt you, Andrea, but I saw in your story, I think yesterday or today that you said you saw her for the first time seven years ago or seven years today. So no, I spoke to her for the last time seven years ago uh, at my grandma's funeral after my grandma passed away. So we had in my family, um, well, now my family is Jared and I, but um, in our family, we had in 2016, three deaths, deaths in five weeks. Wow. That were really, really Oh, hard. my gosh. Yeah. So my grandma was April 2nd. His nephew, who uh, was 19 at the time, uh, committed suicide May, May 2nd. And today, wow. in 2016, my dad passed away. Wow. I'm so sorry wow. to hear that. Wow. I'm so sorry to hear that. And you were still in school at that point, right? You were at UT? Yes. I was in my junior year at UT. Yeah. Wow. Gosh. And that's so just trying to like, balance all that. For the whole summer of 2016, I was like, okay, who else is going to call me now? Man, I'm sure. Wow. And all this even imagine. Happened, like when you were living in Venezuela, like we haven't even gotten to you moving to Italy, right? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> when I was nine, my grandparents, my grandma left because she got really, really sick. Um, she was diabetic. She was overweight. Um, she was, you know, she didn't take care of herself very much. Um, and that, that type of, um, journey will accompany her the rest of her life. So I stayed with my mom on the Island for two years. You know, those years were really intense because I have, I had as a nine year old better memory than when I was younger. Um, and those years were really hard for me until, one day I was in fifth grade. I will never forget. And from one day to another, she was like, we're going to Italy tomorrow. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean? She's like, we're, we're moving to Italy. So you right. know, I, wasn't granted, I wasn't granted a graduation in fifth grade or whatever. Um, and those things will then present themselves later in life for me. Uh, you know, as never celebrating. I didn't walk when I graduated. Um, I, didn't, I didn't have anyone for my high school graduation. So like that stuff presented, presented itself over and over and over until, you know, later in my twenties, yeah. I was like, okay, we gotta, we gotta address this. So. Right. Okay. We'll talk about wow. moving. You moved. Wow. From... So talk. Yeah. Sorry. Z. Sorry. No, go ahead, man. Nope. You, you got it. Andrea, you're for one, I know that you're extremely educated. Like you are very smart for one, but you are extremely educated. So moving from Venezuela to Italy is like a whole thing in itself, but you had to learn a whole new language and yeah. culture, all that stuff. I saw that you said like 
we drink wine when we're cooking and we drink wine at the desk and all these culture shifts. So talk about the culture difference between those two places. So I went from being kind of like a wild thing. You know, I was always barefoot. I would shower in the rain. Um, I would be on the beach <laughs> with my dogs. And like kind of like what you would think living in Hawaii a hundred years ago. You know, like South America is very behind in development and in technology. I didn't have my first, like I didn't have my first cell phone until I was probably like 14. So I didn't have <laughs> until like my last year of living in Venezuela. So I went from that, which has its formative, you know, value for me to going to, I I moved to a town that I was the darkest person in the town. I was the tallest person in the town. I was different. It was a very small town. So everyone kind of like looked at me like I was an exotic animal to come watch. So I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, there were so many things that, you know, as a kid, you don't see, you know, I have never, I came from a family that was very um, colored in any uh, way or form. Um, I had, you know, ankles that looked like you, Z, and then I had, you know, cousins that looked like you, Maddie. And for me, there were never, um, you know, they weren't different. We were all related and we were, you know, we weren't the same. We were just all human beings having part of the same family. So moving to Italy, that was different. So that was different um, because I didn't speak Italian. I moved there June 2nd, 2002. Um, and that was the day that the Euro was, um, and I, I remember that just because <laughs> the Euro was became the official um, currency of Italy that day. That's um, crazy. And um, I got there at night. and I Crazy. <laughs> I remember being really excited on my like car ride from the airport to the little town I moved to because he said like Interport. So I thought I was next to the ocean. Yeah, no, uh, I was not. <laughs> Is that very, uh, very small um, town. Uh, I slept on the kitchen floor of my, my apartment for three years. So all my middle school, um, I had to learn Italian and the Italian education system is very different than the American or South American that is modeled after the American education system. Um, so we go to school on Saturdays. Goodness <laughs> gracious. Uh, what? <laughs> so um, the education system yeah, in Italy what? is very, very thorough. We, had a full, we have a full extra year of education. Um, and even like the tests are different. Everything is uh, an oral examination. You have... You got called out. You got to stand up behind the chair and talk to your professor for like an hour. And it was very, very different. Um, So I was terrified. I didn't speak Italian. So my grandparents were from very humble oranges. So they spoke the dialect to me. When I was in Venezuela, my grandma would just Hmm. hit some pieces of things like, hey, grab that. And hey, grab that. Like almost if we were to um, compare it to... Creole dialect. Yeah. So in Louisiana, you know, they have French uh, influence and also, you know, a very uh, deep African influence. And those two mix that an English speaker does wow. not understand what they're saying. Right. Same for me. So I speak that, I spoke that dialect at the time. I speak it today, but I didn't understand Italian. Yeah. As we, as you guys know, and you hear it when you go visit. So I had to learn. I remember having yeah. like a book, like a summer fifth grade like book that my um, madrina gifted me. She's like, well, we got to get you ready for middle school. I was like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so I had like, you know, like I was 11. I had no like time understanding. I had no you know, planning, summer is happening. I was confused. Everyone was like touching me all the time. And like, you know, Italians are very touchy-feely. So they were like, you know, like squeezing your cheeks and like like, feeding you food. And I was just like, yes, I am so overwhelmed. I missed the ocean. I missed so many things at the beginning. And then making friends was really hard for me at the beginning, uh, especially, you know how girls are when they're 
11, 12, 13. Right. Yeah. Like, really mean to each other. Um, and I made, I had never had a sister. Uh, my friends weren't like really girls. So I would make friends mm-hmm. with the boys easy because, you know, I was used to that. All my cousins were boys and all my friends were majority of them boys. So that wasn't very well seen in a very small. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah. Uh, and uh, it was very hard. It was very, very difficult until um, I started to, you know, like navigate how that society worked. Um, it was something that never really left me until I became like in my, in my early 20s before leaving and moving to the U.S. Um, so it was very, very, uh, very difficult thing, you know, that fought, like undermined my confidence as, as, a, as a young yeah. girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that paired with, I, I had a major change of sports. Uh, I played tennis uh, and then my mom withdrew me from it before my first professional event. Uh, so I had to adapt and uh, a volleyball coach yeah. saw me walking on the street and he asked me if I was an athlete and he invited me to one of the practices. Um, and I got the I was so bad. I was horrible. <laughs> no ball there. control at that point, right? No <laughs> ball control. I serve over the net. Yeah, I was I've... 15 years old. I couldn't serve over the net Man, because in tennis we serve under. Like we serve right. everything has a top yeah. spin. I serve over the, like under the net for two and a half months straight. But that that was what wow. triggered me. I was like, oh, really? Coming from being really good at tennis, that broke my heart when I was 15. I need, I'm highly competitive. So I needed something. And I had a love-hate relationship for with volleyball for like nine months. I was in the gym like eight hours a day. I took every single <laughs> under 12, under 13, under 14. I was through all the practices. I would get to the gym, I think like at 3.30 and I would leave like at 11.30. <laughs> and I believe it. I like. I don't even think you're exaggerating. Oh and I hope everyone knows she's not exaggerating at all. Like she's so serious. She's <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, that's uh, definitely. It was, and also my home was really bad, so I didn't want to be home. Right. Yeah. So my I right. when I say that makes sense. Sport saved my life. I mean it. It really did. Wow. And I I don't think that's uncommon for a lot of young girls either and like you know going back you talked about like your transformative age being um when you were in venezuela and a lot of people say your transformative ages is like under the age of six say it whatever it is um but honestly i think as females we can all agree like your middle school age is so transformative building that self-confidence um finding your passions and things like that so and i also feel like we have so many like core memories and in our middle school days of like, oh, I remember that so vividly. Like you talking about your first day in Italy and how you remember it like as if it was yesterday. Right. Um, how do you feel like that just transformed your your character now, I guess? Like talk about your confidence now, your, um, your attitude towards life. Like obviously you've had to do a lot of rebuilding since it was really hard in those years. So talk about that a little bit. So I see it as different faces. Um, mainly if we wanted to group them together, there would be three during the lifetime. Um, I, I see the, you know, under 18 as one phase in which you're kind of, everything is new. You're excited. You don't know, you know, like you're learning your nervous system is not even complete until you're 24 years old. Like we're, we're transforming until we reach that after college age. So we're, you know, I see that phase as an exploratory phase where you're curious about a lot of things and you're, you know, excited. And unfortunately, and fortunately for me, I was presented with a lot of adversity. I saw things that probably weren't very age appropriate and uh, that weren't supposed to be seen by a person of my age. And um, I was lucky that the choices I made didn't have repercussions to who I am today, permanent repercussions, like, 
you know, I mm. didn't choose to do drugs. I didn't choose to um, get into a wrong path, even when I was a model. Like I didn't, I, 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 right. I think I kind of swerved. I made my mistakes for sure, big ones. <laughs> but I think overall, if we were to put them on a scale, the mistakes I made didn't overweigh, uh, sorry, didn't outweigh um, the, the right choices I made um, because I think I didn't have a lot of love at home. I seeked the confirmation and the validation from my teachers and my professors and my coaches. So they were the thing that I would yeah. look up to and say, like, did I do that right? Like, oh my gosh, tell me that you're proud of me or tell me yeah. that I'm good. So that was good in a way. Um, you know, it has its collateral effects. Sometimes your innocence um, doesn't match when an adult with bad intentions, you know, it's, you know, in the position of power to either benefit you or hurt you. Um, right. Not everyone's going to make the choice to help you, unfortunately, but uh, that's just part of nature. And it's part of the humanity that we live in. Hopefully we one day are able to outweigh the good and the bad. But um, yeah, those years where majority of them um, were very painful for me. Uh, and then I'll, I got to like the, the stage where I had to learn about me in a, as an individual. You know, it wasn't, I was angry for a very long time. I was very, very upset yeah. with the world. I was like, screw everyone. You know, everyone's evil. Everyone sucks. The world sucks. Like I went through the stage of, uh, of hatred towards mm -hmm. the universe that I lived. And um, when I was in my 20s, and I would say my entire 20s, I spent understanding who I am, who do I want to be. As a kid, I remember making lists. Like when my mom would do something, I would be like, I don't want to be like that. And like she would do something. And she wow. taught me exactly what to be. And I remember choosing, almost like if you go to do a, um, a vision board, you, I kind of like pieced together who I wanted to be. I'm like, I'm going to be a great athlete. I'm going to be a good student. Right. I'm going to be a good friend. I'm not going to stab people in the back. Like I kind of learned the things yeah. that were done to me. And I went like, well, I don't like that. Or mm, right. I really like that. You know, like I love people that were well-spoken. Yeah. I love people that were educated. I love people that were complex in their presence. You know, I loved women that were beautiful and that were also intelligent and that were also handy and they could put together a furniture piece. So I love <laughs> that side. Amen. So I kind of like had to piece together ideologically those things during my teenage years. And then I think in my 20s, I really started to go through who am I? What are my values? Who do I want to be? Am I behaving in a coherent way? If I'm saying I am loyal, am I doing the things that are required by the loyalty value tag, right? right. And I went, you know, I went through right. all that uh, during our 20s or 30s. We go through that often as women. Uh, and I had a really hard time accepting the complexity of it. You know, I wanted to be for a long time when I had Z that culture switch, mm -hmm. I was like, I just want to be one thing. I want right. to be this and I just want to fit here. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just want to be like, why am I having so many identity crises, culture crises? Like I had right. so many things that I just didn't want to be, but I was, mm -hmm. and I had to come to terms with that um, in the kind of like, I think in the stage that I am now in my life, and I like to think that once we are complete with this stage of our life, we become on the other end, the person that actually holds the power to help someone else. So maybe later mm. in my 30s and early in my 40s, I'll be like, I'm really successful now. How can I change somebody else's life? Right. And I think that's kind of like the circle that I see in a woman's life happening. Yeah. Wow. I love that. And so even with all that, going into you moved to the United States, you met Jared and we've talked about Jared a few times. For everyone that doesn't know her husband is Jared Elliott, the head coach of the university of Texas volleyball team. And she moved to the U S she met Jared and you guys kind of collaborated and created what many people might know. I've kind of taken the volleyball world by storm, soccer world, gymnastics <laughs> world, basketball, everyone's wearing TIY ties, which yeah. you 
are the founder of. So talk about how all those things kind of went into you creating that business. So I, I mean, I was going to study neurosurgery. So go, going back to that. <laughs> That's crazy, by the way. Crazy. Just subtle flex, Ajani, subtle flex. I was going to study neurosurgery. <laughs> well, when I, I had to choose my career, right? I was, I was really good at like school. I love school. I love learning. Yeah. Um, so my thought process behind choosing neurosurgery, there is an explanation. I'm always the person that chooses the hardest thing. So I went down the list about what are the hardest things that women can accomplish? I was like mechanical engineering, physics. Okay, done that. I got into those universities. I started to do that. And then I was like, wait a minute. I just want to, there is like a 6% female presence in the neurosurgery department (laughs) around the world. And I was like, okay, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to be a neurosurgeon. (laughs) That's crazy Um, logic. So yeah, speak about, you know, like, I choose what's often the hardest thing. Um, and I was dead on set. And I had a, like, I had the dream of being somewhere in the medical field since I was like four years old. Right. You know, it was, I would look at like dead animals and like I would look at all, the, it would, I love understanding how things work, especially when they're at some point alive. So, mm-hmm. um, mm. and that, that was, very stimulating to me because I lived in nature. So I would observe so many things that were incredible that I could not comprehend as a kid living on an island, like full of things that were, you know, unique to it. Um, But that was my everyday world. Anyhow, when I moved to the U.S. um, and Jerit and I started dating, um, we we met, of course, because of volleyball. Um, I reached out to him when he (laughs) won the in 2012 I was moving here I came to visit in the spring of 13 but not speaking English I didn't understand I kept looking for volleyball clubs but everything that kept popping up was like clubs like right. under 18 clubs right right club definition yeah right volleyball club <laughs> so coincidence universe however you want to call it all the articles were about him because he won in 2012 <laughs> And uh, right. I was like, yeah, you know what? Like, he's got to know something. So I sent him a Facebook message. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, hi, volleyball help, Italy. <laughs> <laughs> he responded. And he's to your like, future husband. <gasps> well, yes. And he was like, yeah, you're too old. Yes. I was like, what? <laughs> so that's how we connected um and that was like in the spring of 2013 he was incredibly helpful from the get-go um and on his side it's kind of like funny hearing his side of the story because he's like yeah like i didn't even like think about like no way sure 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 jared (laughs) that's what i say yeah right but anyhow he was like, yeah, you're too old. I'm so sorry. Like, you cannot play volleyball here. There is not a pro league. You have to, like, play a different sport. And he was very helpful. He was like, the NCAA is the, the – he explained to me from A to Z. And I was like, oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> I was like, oh, well, whatever. I'm going to go to the community college because it's only, like, $600 to get my – my core classes that is the same if I go to Harvard or MIT or any school, I can just transfer in. I was also explained that side, by the way, I didn't know. Um, So (laughs) I was just like, I was like, okay, I can be done with volleyball. At that point I had been playing for eight years in the Italian league and I just made a choice. I was like, okay, I can be done. And that was hard. There was no way that I would have been done with volleyball then. Um, I was bouncing off the walls, going crazy at home. Um, but, you know, there was a lot of adjustment there. And uh, for two years, we did long distance. I was in Houston. I was, you know, finishing my, I did three semesters in Houston and one semester commuting from Austin to Houston. But the day of the deadline for the University of Texas, which I hadn't considered, I had no idea what it was. Like, I was like, mm, mm, like the state school? <laughs> I was right. like, no. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so I, I was um, I had three jobs at the time in Houston 
I was shadowing neurosurgeons in the morning. I'm a Memorial Hermann from like 4 a.m. to like 7. You were serious about the neurosurgery. I like, was. Serious. Wow. And I was um, going to class from like 7.30 to 1 and then going to coach like a middle school for volleyball and then going to coach club that night. Um, majority of my, of my weekdays were like that. And he called me the morning of the deadline and he said, I'm really excited to know if you um, – got admitted like today's the deadline and I'm really excited for you to see if you get admitted and you can move to Austin and I was like huh? <laughs> I was like um I will be right back and we'll talk right. tonight so that day I applied to the University of Texas and I ended up getting in um wow. as, a, as a transfer student and that's how I ended up in Austin you know like we hadn't had talks about okay what are we doing I was set I was gonna go to an Ivy League school or or to Stanford, you know, for medical school. And uh, that day he rocked my world. Yeah. Um, I, had to, I had to choose, do I want to be very successful and sit in my very nice penthouse by myself when I'm like 35? <laughs> or do I want someone like who is endearing and loving and caring and that can give me any, like what I've always yearned. Right. And I had a meeting with myself that day, very long. <laughs> so sure. that was exciting day that I was like you know what okay I don't have to be a neurosurgeon and that took a long time to let go like a couple of years mm. but um when I moved to Austin I finished my uh, my undergrad at Texas in like three semesters and then um when I graduated in 2017 um, I was lucky enough to meet uh, um, a fellow entrepreneur that uh founded a beard product company is called beer brand his name is eric and he kind of like mentored me to the early stages of a business and the website and the png and right. deleting background putting product photography and all that stuff so um i didn't think i was good enough to be an entrepreneur i didn't i don't i don't like selling things right <laughs> i'm terrified of asking people like hey can you buy it uh so um i don't that's something I'm working on. Um, but I did uh, slow and steady, uh, took more and more part into the company. And one day, um, I, I think I just had the, the instinct of, I know the product very well. I can figure things out. Like, I'm just half of the job is figuring things out, right? Like, how do you do this? And how do you right. do that? And yeah. how do you edit the video and put it on TikTok? And mm -hmm. just the product, it's, you know, was developed to be a superior product, to be an accessory, to be almost like a like a Lululemon of the hair ties. You know, right. something that when you wear, it's yeah. so superior than anything else that you're just like, it sells itself, which has been easy for me. Mm -hmm. All I do is I send it to people. I'm like, just try and give me feedback and they love it. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm very lucky yep. on that side. But, <laughs> but the, the feedback from the women that wear it or the people with long hair that wear it has been incredible. And that has given me confidence to, you know, build a brand, see the community around it, come together and kind of like spot the knot. So I took ownership of the entire company back in uh, 2018. And that was so scary. Uh, you know, I've been running it since September 3rd, 2018. And you had only been in America for five years at that point. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yes. That so is. That, this actually, this year, um, in October 1st, will be my 10th year anniversary living here. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is so cool. And Andrea, I met Andrea. Literally. Um, I was going to say, I met Andrea because she had a booth at one of the big tournaments, volleyball tournaments. And Andrea, I don't know where we were at Z, I think we were playing at Arkansas, but it was dig pink. And so they gave us all the pink TIY ties. And um, that's the first time I used them. And I was like, this is the next best thing. And so going back to what you said about like, it sells themselves. I told my mom, I'm like, I have two younger sisters. And of course I'm like, they need a Easter present for my mom. I'm like, you got to get these TIY ties, mom. And they don't wear anything other than the TIY ties now. So they're locked. No one does. Everyone <laughs> wears them. It's really, Thank it truly really is. The yeah. 
Yeah, it's almost like when people hear about it, it's almost like too good to be true for a hair tie. So we're fighting a lot, the hair yeah. apathy, and I'm learning so much about what it means to be a niche product. We're doing a, a humongous rebranding right now that it's going to bring some exciting news um, later on this year and early in the 2024 year. So yeah, it's growing and I, I can't believe it. We just had our first hire is our copywriter is a girl that I coached in Houston who went to wow. Pratt University Cool. and kind of like wrapping up her, um, her university career. We've kept in touch. Her family and I have always been, you know, talking every now and then. And she manifested to me. She said, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm trying to apply to jobs. I'm having a hard time. Her family is clearly from Texas. And I just threw it out there. I said, Avery, I need help. Uh, this is growing so much. And you are a great writer. Um, she's also a screenwriter. And I said, would you take the leap of faith and just move to Austin and help me? And she did. So we're working wow. right now. It's, it's at all women uh, owned. And our designer is a female. Every, everyone around us, it's a woman and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. We're doing appreciation lives this month because of it, of mental health awareness month. Mm -hmm. um, so we're just hopping on um, random five to 10 minute uh, Instagram lives. So if you guys wanna, wanna be part of it, I would love to have you. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, we're there, we're there. Um, so just to like rewind a bit, Andrea, I feel like, the part of that story that kind of was maybe the most amazing to me is that you chose to take a step back from something that you would have been insanely successful at. Right. Um, but knowing that like there was probably more out there for you, like that, knowing that Jarrett, Jarrett, like living with Jarrett and being married to Jarrett was probably going to give you more of that like fulfillment that you were looking for. Um, so I guess I just, I don't know. I guess I just think it's cool that, now that with the TIY ties that it's really come full circle and you've made a career that you probably never expected a career to be. Um, so I, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying with that is like, talk about what it was like being an entrepreneur in America, not speaking the English and probably like not having a lick of business experience either. Right. Yes. So, <laughs> um, I had to overcome, and this is where I think the universe just puts you into situations that you have to make a choice. I mean, we make choices since the moment we wake up in the morning, but um, I was terrified right. asking people for anything, um, which takes me to my former trauma. I Everything that I would ask as a young female was met with a no as an answer. So um, I, at some point I stopped asking. You know, I, and it was difficult then to flip the switch and start asking people for things that even from the minimal, like, hey, could you pass me that? I will get up and go get it myself. You know, like right. it was, I was deeply afraid of getting no as an answer, which then in a funny way resulted into a deep resilience when it comes down to like overcoming things. I'm like, okay, I almost like I lowered the bar so much mm -hmm. when it came down to achievements that I ended up overachieving in anything that I put my mind to. I don't know if that makes sense. I stopped, ex like, I never gave myself a good job pat on the shoulder. And I went like, okay, what's the hardest thing I can accomplish? Then that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, and never once I took the time to say, oh, that was, that was good. Like that yeah. was a good job. So Going back to what it meant to be an entrepreneur, it meant to like listen to others, tell me what was wrong, mm -hmm. you know, or how to go about things. But I really did expand and I constantly do. So I ask, what do you think about this? And I am actually listening to what they're saying right. instead of thinking that I have the answer because I didn't, I didn't know how to, I had to ask because mm -hmm. I had no idea. So if I wanted to be successful, which by nature, I was like, I'm going to figure this out. I don't care how I'm going to figure it out, but I'm going to figure it out. I had to encounter one of the biggest fears that I had was asking for help or asking for an opinion or 
relying on someone else's expertise, which wasn't my cup of tea. I was an only child who was told no all the time. And I was not used to cooperating very well with others. So I think I've come a long way when it comes down to thinking, asking, and figuring things out, which has led me to understand that a bigger group of people can get so much more done and give more fulfillment to it. Yeah. And that's Mm. really interesting because I feel like now in going back to your coach's wife, and I think me and Maddie kind of know what that looks like from our coach's wife. Like that's just a whole different level of trust and patience. And he's always gone and you guys are always traveling. And I know you don't hardly ever miss a game. Like you're driving up to West Virginia with the team. And I also think one of the best things about that is like, all of the girls on that team who I, I can testify this because I know them, they love you and they adore you. And even Zoe Fleck, we had her on a few a few months ago and she, on your birthday, posts all these things about you and they admire you so much. And so I just really think it's interesting the relationship you have with all those girls as well as being in the position that you're in. So, Yeah, it's, it's, an, interesting, um, it's an interesting position because, you know, Janet and I have a big age difference friends Uh, I'm probably closer to be your older sister than you know um, anything else but uh, I see I don't have family as I said before I don't have a lot uh, of people that I can rely on but I see those kids those young women when we meet their families when we um, you know embrace them into our family and I know it's like hard because a lot of people have um a perception of the University of Texas and and the program and, you know, what, you know, we all travel with our imagination and have an impression of someone when we don't know them. Right. Um, We really do truly Mm. internally bond with one another. And once you're part of the family, I will fight anyone for you. So (laughs) it's, it's really it's really interesting because, you know, you have to channel your, your um, energies and you have to channel your attentions. No one's a superhuman here. We all make mistakes. And uh, the way I bond with the girls is making sure they know my home is open to them. I can always make them a a cooked meal if they're like homesick or they want lasagna, they want Italian food or they want Venezuelan food. (laughs) Jack, I I want to make sure they're loved in a way that I never was. So it's like, you guys are away from home. You don't right. have anyone. Yeah, you have your teammates, but you're in that stage of your life that you don't know. You're like, oh my gosh, like, do I do things because I'm peer pressure or do I do like what I really want to do? Um, so I want to make sure that everyone that it's in our, in our program knows that I'm there for them, whether they need it or not. But um, I care for them. It's so fun to see them, you know, overcome their insecurities and overcome their challenges and be put in situations of hardship. You know, only six play is one of the most competitive gyms in the country. So it's right. really hard adapting to all right. those things on top of having a boyfriend and going to class and, yeah. you know, having to juggle <laughs> all those things. Um, so we're just an extension of their family. I love to get to know the parents and it's, it makes me happy. Um, you know, sometimes if they need something, they know I'm there. Uh, even if, for example, they want to have a piece of furniture delivered to the house and they can be like, oh my gosh, I don't know if they're going to be at the door. Whatever that might be. Um, yeah. You know, that's it's, <laughs> uh, it's kind of like become my family. I love them so much for the past nine years. Yeah, I think I've missed like, five games um, <laughs> so, yeah and, and, wow. and i'll say this you're the best dressed at every game you go to there's not one gym that you're not the <laughs> best dressed well i i gotta give that to the italian culture um i loved learning from italians quality of craft and how to put together materials and fibers and things that they don't have to cost you a lot of money my favorite places to go are places where I can just get to choose the style like goodwill and I found if you know your fabrics and you know your your things you can go to goodwill and put an outfit <laughs> and people are like really? 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They taught like, you well. I don't, yeah, <laughs> I don't love, uh, I got worked in Milan for a while. Uh, and I loved, mm. I take pride in putting in an outfit that is good quality, doesn't have, you know, Gucci or Prada all over it just because I can afford it. I, I challenge myself to be like, you know what, let's, let's get something that is unique and that is different, but it's good quality and it's going to last me for a long time. And it just looks like a million dollars. And I often, so I have pictures of our engagement and I got the skirt of our engagement at Goodwill, oh, $5.99. Wow. <laughs> That's cool. That's a cool story. That's awesome. I'll, I'll text yeah. you the, the, oh, the link. Yeah, we'll we'll need them for the Instagram clip, Ajani. <laughs> the pictures. Um, okay, Andrea, to switch gears. Um, and we asked permission, obviously, before this, but um, Andrea did experience um, an eating disorder in her past. And, you know, Andrea, like, just to give you credit, and I know that you've like worked through this for years now to be able to talk about this, but Z and I played Z. I hope you don't share, you don't care if I'm sharing this story. I didn't ask you for permission. <laughs> um, but we're college athlete, female college athletes, where you know our bodies are on display every single game, every practice. Um, and I think all girls to some extent struggle with insecurities. And I remember one night, Z, we were both up really late and we were just in our fields or something and <laughs> just being like really mean to our bodies, like really mean. And that happens to a lot of females I know. And fortunately I haven't personally struggled with an eating disorder, but I know how that can happen so easily to a lot of young women. Um, and it sucks. And I, I just, I would love for you to share as much or as little um, about your story and um, maybe someone can take something really great away from it. Yeah, so um, my eating disorder started uh, right immediately when uh, my sexual abuse was over. Um, so I think it was an uh, an emotional um, an emotional uh, coping mechanism. Uh, I never saw a professional for it, but I had it kept being triggered by my mom, uh, which is the underlying character of my story. Um, she um, yeah. kept me, you know, like you don't fit in your jeans anymore. And I was, I put muscle very easily on. Um, and I was, I switched sports from tennis to volleyball. And we know that volleyball players have bigger legs and bigger thighs. We got to jump. So yeah. I did have a really big jump on the court. <laughs> so, um, you know, I was growing into a body from a 14 year old to a 16 year old. And I remember these remarks being made by the very own person that was supposed to, you know, tell me that things were okay and that, you know, that was normal, that I got my period for the first time, that like, you know, that those things were natural changes in my body and I would, that I would see more coming. So um, that was yeah. like the first time um, I encountered uh, a relationship with food that wasn't healthy. So so I was bulimic for 10 years. Um, I was trying to be an athlete. All my, my entire uh, professional volleyball career, I was bulimic. Um, I, because I was also a model, and those were like those two worlds don't really collide very well, especially yeah. in Italy. No. In Italy, you have a lot of high fashion, uh, and that high fashion can be really cruel. I was a model for Ocateur. So you had to be like a zero. I wasn't a zero, right. not even close. Uh, <laughs> so um, they, it, it was a combination of factors. Uh, I started, you know, like I would vomit like three times a day. It was yeah. awful. And I am lucky enough not like fast forward 10 years, I moved to the US. I was still severely uh, under, you know, my, my bulimia. Um, and I must give credits to Jerry for that. He also helped me, you know, like understand that my emotional response would not need a binge eating and then, you know, vomiting after because I was upset. So yeah. there were a lot of things that triggered that. Um, I think, um, it was, I was very mean, like in, to myself. Um, I, 
people saw me as, oh my gosh, you're so perfect and you look great in a bikini. But what I saw was not what those people were saying. Um, I think especially because um, I wasn't, I knew I wasn't healthy. So I felt almost like I was lying to mm-hmm. people, which goes against my values. You know, right. I don't like to lie. And that's yeah. something that felt not only physically harmful, but also psychologically taxing because, you know, I had to be in a party and it was very hard. Um, it was it was a, an addiction that I could, you know, you can't get rid of. You have to eat. Right. <laughs> so that was um, that was yeah. very interesting part of my life. Um, I remember that since I were a kid, I would have like conversations in the mirror with myself, mainly when I had to learn a new language because I didn't want to be judged for the way I spoke. So I would try to imitate people. <laughs> so I would like go to the mirror and practice. Wow. Um, so um, I remember, you know, like in my lowest slow, I literally, it was an afternoon. I finished like, yeah, I think in 2015, 14, 15. Um, and after having an episode, I like, I, I had it. I was sick and tired of vomiting. And I remember just like, literally, yeah. this is probably very graphic, head over the toilet, I finished vomiting and I was bawling my eyes out. And I like sat, like I would sit in the vanity, like in front of the mirror. And I looked at myself in the eyeballs and I'm like, you're done. We are done here. Like I literally had that conversation with myself. Wow. And it took... I never knew what it felt to be hungry. Like I had no regulation of, okay, I'm hungry. I am going to eat now. Like my stomach never burned for like 14 years of my life. Wow. Like 12 to 14 years. Wow. So I had to relearn that. And I read so many books um, about, you know, what is the cycle that someone encounters um, probably since I was like 22, I started to like try to fight it, uh, unsuccessfully and it took years to come out of it. Um, so I did a lot of research. I would probably give myself the advice to look for a professional, um, that would help me mm. instead of trying to figure it all out by myself. Uh, but I did like, I had so many things going on at the same time with, you know, my PTSD, that to me, the eating disorder was almost like the least of the evils. So that I was like, yeah, yeah whatever, I can figure that wow. out on my own. Right. So um, it was a combination of, of things. And uh, yeah, it was very hard um, even to develop when I wasn't engaging in the bulimic behavior anymore. I was just like almost on the edge of like, I took out down every mirror in my, in my house. I didn't want to see me. Um, and I started to, I had to realign when I closed my eyes, what I felt to then what I thought. And then it became a complete healing process when I had my thoughts, my feelings, and what I would see in the mirror, um, all in the same line. So, um, I did a lot of journaling that was negative journaling, like I I would write down all the things that I wouldn't like. And then I would burn the journal almost like as a cathartic experience. Um, I would do that also as a kid at the end of the year, like for new years, I would like burn whatever I wrote uh, during that year as a like let go. I found definitely very different ways of getting rid of my pain over the years. Uh, And that was one of them. Um, And yeah, it was, I had to relearn the relationship with food. Uh, I had to learn, you know, that sometimes peer pressure can really be dangerous. If someone says they're not hungry, they're not hungry, like stop pushing for it. Um, Because then you spiral down and you'll have, you know, you never know what someone else is going through. Uh, If you encounter a certain behavior in someone of your best friends, say something, uh, just talk to them about it. Like, hey, are you okay? Um, Because it was hard, like, a part of me was screaming for someone to notice and a part of me was like, no way they cannot know. They mm-hmm. will not love me anymore right. if they have this or if that I do this. Um, luckily, you know, I lived with Jared. So he was like, okay, what are we doing? So I, was like, <laughs> I had to, right. Like, and I had to come to reality yeah. with, I'm struggling. So once I said it, 
And I'm like, I don't know how to stop. And like, I go off for like three months and then I, something happens or like something emotionally shocking happens. And then I go back to it and I feel like a failure. So it's like a full cycle that is psychological, is physical, is mental. And it's also like societal, right? Like you go to a party and the chips and kids are calling your name. Yeah. Like, oh my God, oh my God. So, um, <laughs> so that's, uh, that's kind of like that, um, relationship that I had to have and that journey took a long time but definitely yeah. um, it's it's over um, so if anyone needs to talk or even to send an anonymous letter or whatever it is uh, I'm here if anyone wants to um, talk about it I love that and thank you for that's not thank you Andrea easy to share no so thanks for speaking about that and it's as um, that Z. Always, yeah yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was like saying, as hard as that all was, you've turned out to be this incredible woman and you're probably still dealing with a lot of that stuff, but you're influencing a whole generation and all those girls of Texas and everyone you've come across, me and Maddie included. And so I think with that, I'll lead into my last question. I don't know if Maddie has another one. Do you have another one, Mad? Um, I was just going to say that um, I was reading a book last week on like alcoholism and how the stigma around alcoholism is it's so real in America and it's so it's viewed as this like it's this illness and it really is an illness but so is eating an eating disorder is an illness you know and so be, you being able to say like I am sick like I really am sick and I can't do this by myself like I feel like young, there's so many girls out there who I mean friends of mine the friends of ours who were like girl you know, I want to help you, but it's just that where they have to finally see like, okay, I need help. So again, thank you for sharing. That's like not easy at all, but so helpful to so many. Yeah. And a lot of that, you know, stigma comes from accepting or rejecting the idea of beauty in society. Um, you know, I wanted to be as skinny and as you know, thin as all the other double zeros were around me when I was modeling, but mainly, you know, I wanted to fit in the jeans that I felt when I, when I was 14, because my mom made me feel guilty that I wouldn't fit in them anymore when I was 16. So maybe like self-check before making certain, you know, remarks when you're to yourself and to your friends, when they are, having maybe a hard time with their own body, it's really good to talk about it, you know, like let it out, like let it out and just say like, you know what? I really don't like the way my shoulder blade looks on that side. And maybe some, you can tell that to someone that you trust. And shockingly, a lot of people will not even see those things that right. we need ourselves up right. for. So, so. Okay, Andrea, I, before I ask you, we always ask all of our guests their best piece of advice to everyone listening. But before you answer that, if there's anything else you want to share, talk about, feel free. But then finish it up with your best piece of advice. Um, yeah, no, unless you, you guys have any other questions, um, my best piece of advice, I got to think on that one for a second. <laughs> everyone always um, does. <laughs> um. I know it's hard, but to be vulnerable, like 100% vulnerable, it's probably the best advice I could ever give anyone from the entrepreneur world to the athlete world to the female world to you know someone that has come from a lot of struggles, I think being 100% transparently vulnerable can, if someone hurts you, it says more about them than it says about you. Mm. Because when you are vulnerable, mm. you're exposed. And it's almost like they're kicking someone when they're down. And that says way more about them than it says about you. Um, so I think that's probably my biggest takeaway from my life so far. Don't put up a front or don't put up some sort of like, I'm going to show you I'm this and I'm that. Um, instead of just like, I think that leads to them being tr truly who you are over time. And people will see that the ones that care about you 
you and the people that are alike will see themselves into that and naturally gravitate to it. Um, so vulnerability is a superpower, not a weakness. So I, I, I would say that's my, that's my biggest big piece of advice to anyone that is watching or they feel insecure or they feel sad or anything like that. I love it. Thank you so much. That was so good. That was some Brene Brown wisdom right there. And I'm a <laughs> Brene Brown stan. So, <laughs> oh, Andrea, this has seriously been our pleasure. I know we told you this at the beginning, but Z and I were like through the roof when you said you would do this. So, um, if you're listening, buy your TIY tie. That's a little plug for <laughs> TIY ties. And we cannot wait to see the rebrand. I'm so excited and I will be a, I will be a buyer immediately. Um, Andrea, thank you. We appreciate thank it you so much, Andrea. Oh, thank you I feel so like much. we were friends before, but now I feel like we're, we're pretty close. Don't tell Jared, but me and you are like this now. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Andrea. Oh, thank you. Yeah.